Podicumans. Brett Maddox here once again with another episode of the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. And once again, we are joined with Jim Morrow, Alan hey. Case. Oh, hold on. Go ahead, Jim. No, that was just my hey. Uh, hey, there he is. Okay, he's here. Um, Alan Kaysen cannot be here at this recording. Oh, boo. Yeah, boo. We don't know. I mean, he just is not Vote here. off the island. <laughs> I'm not jumping. No, he, we're not voting him off the island. Okay. Everyone gets one, and okay. this is his. But in his stead, we've got the Reverend Rebecca Duke Barton from Jessup First United Methodist Church. She's in our conference um, here in the South Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. Church, and we are so excited to have her. She's been a super fan from the very beginning. So, Rebecca, we're glad to have you. That's right. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Alan and I went to the same high school, so I figure they only let so many Washington County High School graduates in the same place at one time. That's what? amazing. That is so cool. That's awesome. 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 Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Rebecca. I I'm serving at Jessup First United Methodist Church. I am married to a preacher as well at Epworth oh. United Methodist Church in So um, we really have enjoyed getting to be together in the same town for the first time in our ministry, working together for a lot of joint projects, especially in this COVID time where a mm. lot has been online and on the radio. We've been able to work together a lot. So that part's been fun. Um, my background, I um, went to Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and that's where Garth and I met. And then I worked on a Ph.D. in Old Testament at Emory, but I, I always say that I didn't finish because I had kids. Um, but I think the real reason is I didn't finish because I was called to preach, and so I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. That is awesome. Awesome. Do you have any children? I do. Three. We have a 16-year-old and twin 13-year-old. Twin 13-year-olds. Yes, y'all are in the teenage thick of it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. That's uh, Wow. Well, anyway, uh, hey, we're so excited to have you. And like I said before, uh, we're so glad that you've been with us from really kind of the beginning of our little project we've had here. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask, as you are kind of of a stand-in co-host, if you will, uh, for uh, for today, um, what has— And a special guest. And a special guest. So that's the thing. We invited her to be a special guest, but then um, Alan had to step out for just this episode. And so Rebecca steps into his shoes uh, today in a way. And uh, so just tell us a little bit about what this podcast has meant for you. I mean, um, just tell us a little bit about what you've gotten out of um, out of this uh, project. I think when I think about what my call to ministry is about, I I love the line from a Charles Wesley hymn, unite the pair so long disjoined knowledge and vital piety. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this podcast really pulls that together well, that I, I love a podcast where you really get some thoughtful things. I pause it a lot of times and, and make a note so that I can um, bring it up later. Um, but then It's also practical theology. You Mm -hmm. always bring it around to why we care. And then throw in a little bit of Star Wars and superheroes, and it's just the perfect thing. Yes! There you go. That's that's really what it's all about anyway. It's just how many references to The Mandalorian Jim and Alan can throw in every episode. That's right. Well, I want to tell you... um, when we first started, uh, we were sure that maybe our mothers might listen and my brother might listen and, 
And I wasn't sure of any of that, actually. Yeah. So. No, but but it was so much fun, uh, Rebecca, when when you piped in, I thought, well, we've made it. That's good. Rebecca, y'all is one of it's just I think one of our one of our best and somebody that I think we all look up to. And I'm just really glad. I'm glad you're here with us today for many, many, many reasons. Um, I am sitting at your feet, my dear friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm excited. And, you know, you and I don't know each other real well. I think uh, we've seen each other in conference stuff um, around and whatnot. But um, I'm excited about uh, this connection that we've been able to make here through this podcast uh, with you. And I'm glad uh, something good in our circle has come out of Washington County. I'm sure there are other things, but Alan was really giving him a bad name. So thank you. Redeeming things. Put your and for all our fans in Washington County, no, uh, everybody, it's, it was Alan. <laughs> he was really doing a job on their reputation, but Rebecca's really. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm standing up for my fellow. <laughs> yes, fantastic folks. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get uh, uh, last episode, I should say. The last episode, we talked about um, uh, what was the sin um, by which our first parents um, fell, by what was the sin by which our first parents fell. And so um, uh, uh, was there any loose ends, Jim, that you wanted to bring up, any comments that you had heard from that episode? Yeah, uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep confidence in whatever, but I, did, I had some great conversations this past week about that episode, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, and one of the things that strikes me is I'm just overjoyed that um, at least one of our potecumens and I are on a new research journey because mm. we thought about something together that we would have never had a real conversation about. Mm. When would it come up? Um, and then now, now there's a book being passed back and forth. I also love that there's, when we talk about the things of God, that there can be a real internal kind of visceral joy or reaction or push that is a, see, our whole spirit is a part of the knowledge of God and thinking about God. And I love that. So one of the things that um, I, we want to just, that came up that I want to share is when we talked about what is the sin by which mm -hmm. uh, our first family fell, et cetera, from the catechism, um, we focused in on the eating of the fruit. That's mm. kind of a traditional way. And that's what the catechism brought to us. And right. um, that's great. And there is always more to the story. And, and there's you we could spend our lives in the study of Genesis 3 and uh, was reminded of something from uh, from a book that I think Alan is using as a resource right now called Long Story Short. I believe the mm -hmm. gentleman is James McNall, mm -hmm. kind of a big overview of the Bible. And one of the things he touches on in Genesis is that uh, the slide of sin you know, may have actually been beginning already in the little conversation, and that not only did they disobey, but they also uh, abandoned the call that God had gave them to be stewards over creation and, and all that. So I, that's on. So now, now we're researching it together. Isn't that's that awesome. wonderful? So that's I just awesome. wanted to share that. Um, there's always more and what excites me more than anything, other than having nerd time with my folks here on the podcast is when we can spark something we never would have had a chance to talk about before. But I just wanted to share that from last episode. And, you know, potecumens, friends, thank you. That's yeah. amazing. 
You know, just kind of to piggyback on that, one of the things that has been uh, most helpful for me in doing this podcast is, as a pastor, this has been kind of like an every two week continuing education for me. Um, in that, uh, you know, I started this out of a D men uh, doctorate of ministry, uh, not a demon, uh, not a demon project, but a <laughs> D men project. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Although I will say there are days when I feel like it is a demon, but anyway, we'll move on. Um, but we, uh, I started out as, so I was already in that headspace of kind of growing and continuing to learn and learn and learn. But, um, it is very easy for us in the church and leadership in the church to, once we're done with our master's degree, once we've gotten our credentials, once we've gotten established in a community to kind of just settle in into a, a rut of what we know. And so we preach very similar themes all the time, and we think about uh, very similar Scripture passages all the time, and we don't push ourselves intellectually to speak uh, biblical truth in our community um, to the hard stuff. And so what this has done is I'm having to force myself to go back to a basic Christian doctrine class every other week and rethink about these things that maybe I've written a paper about when I was doing my Master's of Divinity, or maybe I've had conversations about in a classwork through my doctorate program, but I'm having to do this on a regular... Because if it does matter, if it's not just something that is for the, you know, the the academy, the, the the ivory towers, if it is something that we believe is important in our local communities, whether it be in Jessup or in Glenville or here in Saint, at uh, at Columbus, then um, then then we have to know how to speak to it in a faithful faithful way. So uh, I know I'm grateful for that and for this uh, time together. Now, uh, so the question we're dealing with is a little is a piggyback, if you will, and we'll be revisiting some of the themes from our last episode. Uh, is that is from uh, question number sixteen from the Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and that question is: Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And uh, usually, Alan has the answer to this question. What are we going to do? I we don't, don't know the know. answer. Maybe we should just end the podcast right mm. here. I mean, for today, because we don't know what the answer is going to be. I wonder, Rebecca, do you know the answer? I do know the answer. Oh, it is that's yes. awesome. Okay, okay. <laughs> Praise Why don't the you Lord. tell us? Yes, please give us the answer. <laughs> All of humanity fell because of the transgression. It, there is nobody who is born into a state where we are not fallen. Mm. Um, I, I was thinking of kind of the tractor beam metaphor of we're, we're pulled into it and we can't get out of it. And yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. As, and, and the thing about it is we don't even know that we need to steer in a different direction. Mm. So we're stuck in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the catechism would say uh, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but also for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. Uh, summarized in 
what Rebecca just said. That- but why why would the catechism not take the opportunity to use a sci-fi tractor beam reference when it was so... <laughs> I mean, I think it had just... Maybe this was a few years before the tractor right. beam was All invented. Right. Um, That's fine. So, I mean, you know, just... Yeah. I do personally like the idea of a tractor beam. Although when you said that, have y'all seen the movie Spaceballs? Okay. You haven't seen... Okay, here's the joke. Brett has not seen a movie since 1988. Yes, he's not wrong on that. Anyway, I just had that th- scene of the tractor beam from Spaceballs whenever Rebecca was telling us that. Uh, giving you know, us but that but I, I like that, Rebecca. So we're talking about this idea of did mankind or humankind fall? And... Rebecca, you brought up something that I think is so fascinating. We don't even know that we're in it. Mm-hmm. Was it like the 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 frog? Is there, is there a story about a frog in water that gradually gets warmer and doesn't even know that it's in it? Right. They just hurt themselves. Right. Mm. And this is where grace comes in, the idea of God revealing not only himself, but revealing our need for him. Um, we, without God's intervention, without his grace, without that prevenient grace, or even as what Calvinists would call common grace that's out there, this God react or interacting with us, uh, we wouldn't even know we would need Ooh. him. Because we wouldn't even know there is, it would just be all about us at that point. And so um, uh, it is God's grace that we're able to realize our need for Him um, and for redemption. So there are scripture proofs to this, like with all the questions. Uh, The first one comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. So here we go. Take a listen. This will be a little bit of info we've grabbed before, but the Word is always wonderful. So, and the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Mm. So we've got this uh, right there in that um, second uh, uh, creation story out of uh, Genesis and uh, that uh, prohibition against eating of the tree and the consequences. And I think that's one of the keys that we see here is that from the very beginning, there's the prohibition, but he also names what the consequence, he being God, uh, names what the consequence to breaking this would be. And that's, you remember, Jim, last week we got into that discussion, and Rebecca, you listened to last season, uh, last season, last episode, uh, the question that we asked of, um, um, uh, it was the question, the comment wasn't if you sh- would surely die, it's when you, I mean, if when you, you eat it, if you eat it, it's but when you will eat it, and how the Hebrew might be, in, uh, how it uh, might be um, an interesting thing there uh, for us to consider. Um, Romans 5 uh, 12, uh, Rebecca, I think you've got that reading. I do. And this is in the midst of a whole conversation about the effect of sin in our lives and what God is doing to mitigate those effects of sin. And so this is Romans 5, 12. But then I also want to read 18 because it it reiterates the same idea. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. And then 18 goes on, therefore, just as one man's trespass led to the condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Right. So Mm. Paul is clear that this is everybody. It is the case for every human being who has ever lived. Exactly. Except for Jesus. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it might be a foreshadowing to a question that I know Jim's going to be bringing up here in a minute about what did the biblical text think about Adam and Eve? Were they merely figurative or allegorical or or uh, or were they literal uh, historical figures? Historical. Yeah, um, let me and we'll get to that on... in a second, but yeah, okay, go ahead, Jim. Okay, go no, ahead. You, you take the lead, my friend. I'll come no, no. up, but put a pin in it. Yeah, yeah, we'll put a pin in that. Let's get to the First Corinthians one, because I think that's an important one to uh, get to, and then we'll come back to what Jim was going to ask there. And this is from First Corinthians 15. This comes from a chapter uh, uh, that is probably one of the most important theological uh, teachings about the uh, resurrection um, that's written in all of the New Testament. Uh, whenever people question the bodily resurrection and the need for a bodily resurrection, I always go to this chapter because it is clear that Paul understands that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just some spiritual phenomenon. It was a complete bodily resurrection, and that the resurrection of people, us, will be a complete bodily and spiritual resurrection. Um, uh, to, to, to not even think that, to think that it is something else, would in a way negate the faith completely. And so uh, go and read all of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It's such an important piece to understanding um, what is one of, the, one of, if not the central uh, tenet of our faith, and that is the resurrection of Christ. But in that, um, we, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 21 through 23, uh, uh, we get this uh, uh, teaching about uh, um, about what we're talking about today, and it, it goes this way. It says, uh, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. All right. So, uh, all right, Jim. So I'm looking at the catechism answer itself, and yes. it's very interesting. Um, and, and we can kind of pick up on this theme throughout, especially in light of the, Rebecca's reading of Romans 5 and your reading of 1 Corinthians 15. So the catechism question itself, or the answer says, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but also for his posterity. So the catechism is making uh, a claim, uh, the biblical claim, that uh, what God covenanted with Adam was for humanity. But it says, descending from him by all mankind, descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and mm -hmm. fell with him. Mm -hmm. And so that term ordinary generation, it refers to the general way in which people are conceived and born into the world. Right. And so there's almost uh, an, I would say there is an implication that there are very flesh comes straight from Adam, and there is almost a biological passing on or a conceiving and bearing in the natural line of humanity. Um, and so that, that's, what, that's how I'm interpreting the term ordinary generation. Um, so that may, in order for that claim to be true, then Adam and Eve are the first people and all people descended from them. Now, what about when folks say, you know, who did Cain marry? Yeah. For example, where did those people come from? Right. And then what about when people say, you know, 
I get it, but archaeology and carbon dating, there's bones and history and people might have been everywhere. So what do we do with, does the idea that Adam's sin infected everybody, does that fall apart if you are not reading this completely as a historical and biological document? Do you see the controversial question at play? If Adam is not a historical person or if Adam was not the only first person, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. can we still have this idea of what we would call original sin? Well, let's take the Old Testament scholar and let her have a... a, a, a well, just what do y'all think? I, I've, I've got some we're, thoughts on this. but Just uh, by the way, we're not going to be able to come up with an answer, but what we're going to yeah. be able to do is help us all think through the various ways in right. which we can approach these things right. um, faithfully and in an orthodox fashion. Right, 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 right. Rebecca, what do you think? Does that, Did my question even make sense? It, it does. Okay, it does. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also like the thought that we cannot necessarily come up with a definitive answer no. that um, that it, it's interesting when you kind of look at how it's been dealt with throughout the history of interpretation. Yes. Um, you know, some of the desert fathers really thought that um, that biology uh, passed along through dads and not so much through moms. Mm-hmm. And so um, so it, it's part of why the creeds make such a point of um, Jesus being born of a woman, but having nothing to do with a man, because mm-hmm. that takes him out of that story of original sin, because it's not passed on through his biology in mm-hmm. that way. Um, great, great point. Um, but I think... I think there's something in the fall that's more than just biology, e- even though I agree with your point about the reading of the, the notes from the catechism, that when you read the Genesis text, it's not just humans that become part of the fallen state. It's all of creation. And right. um, Adam is supposed to be tilling the land, which he does with great success until the fall. And then the land works against him. Um, If we read on into Romans 8, Romans talked about all creation itself is going to be set free from its bondage of decay. Mm. Because so, so God needs to redeem not just humans, but all of creation. And so it's, it's not just the story of one man and his descendants, but it's also the story of all of those of us who inhabit the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't it interesting too to to about the creation piece to that is um it's it's all of creation though according to Paul is waiting for us <laughs> like it says is all of, is is in a sense is waiting right. for us because it's like. Their experience, the creation is experiencing. I'm personifying creation. Creation is experiencing the fall because of humanity's choices through humanity's sin. It's an interesting dynamic that Paul gets into in Romans about creation waiting and groaning and and and, and for the for the children of God to 
you know, for redemption to come, for uh, uh, reconciliation to come about between God and humanity. It's a in- very interesting thing uh, there. Even Jesus will say the, cr- the rocks will cry out in witness, right? I mean, That's right. Um, right. Uh, and, and it's why God's got to create a new heaven and a new earth. It's not enough just to redeem the people, but all of creation has fallen. All of creation right. needs to be redeemed. But creation renewed. can't be redeemed into, uh, unless we're redeemed. Get your right. act together. I mean, that's the craziest thing. It's not it's like we're so pivotal in that piece. Uh, interestingly enough, your question, I've always taken the, with this question and with questions about, uh, like, are you old earth, young earth, creationist, that kind of thing. Gap all, theory. Gap theory, all these type of things. I've always taken the, um, the, the, the stand of just saying, uh, I'm mostly interested in what the text is saying, not what the text may be saying or isn't saying. So a lot of these questions come up. And they're interesting. They're 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 good research that you can do on this. But it's not necessarily what the text is wanting us to focus on. And so John um, John Walton, who um, uh, wrote a, a book called uh, called uh, The Lost World of Adam and Eve, um, he had there was a contribution in there from N.T. Wright as well. Um, uh, he he wrote uh, basically he made all these propositions about the Genesis text, Adam and Eve. All, it's really such a fascinating book that I'm actually reading um, in the process of reading now because in studying for our time together, um, I just came across the text in, in my digital library and thought, man, I need to check this out. It's very interesting. And he basically makes the claim that um, uh, he makes the claim that they that he believes that the, we are dealing with both a historical figure in Adam and Eve, but also with a, an archetype, archetype, a figurative, <laughs> I can't say the word, I don't, my, my brain just shut down, let's use the word figurative here, archetype. archetypical, thank you, archetypical, that's what we're going for, um, archipelago, so anyway, mm-hmm. so, uh, off the rails, <laughs> uh, but he's saying it's a both and, because the biblical witness is a both and in both and in, in the sense that uh, the biblical witness it affirms a historical uh, Adam and Eve, but it also affirms kind of an archetype of Adam and Eve, and we see this with other figures in Scripture. David, King David, he he fills a historical role, but he also fig, fig, fills a archetype role for kind of the the king, the king of Israel, and the messianic king that would be fulfilled in Jesus, and and so on and so forth. And so, um, and he says that you can see this the importance of the historical figure of Adam and, figures of Adam and Eve by just looking at the genealogies, particularly when you get to the genealogies of Jesus and the Gospel of. Matthew. And um, and then he also talks about uh, the text that we just seen in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. There's the theological reason behind it of uh, sin and redemption. It does seem to uh, hinge on an understanding, at least, in the text itself of a, a historical figures and something that happened. But then there's also this kind of figurative language that is used. And so he just takes the if I'm reading him correctly, he takes the um, um, idea, and this is where I've always kind of stood with it too, that this is just kind of a both and type thing going on here in the text itself. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Why not both? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but before any of our listeners feel a need to call in or write, um, this is 
Luke's genealogy that goes back to Adam. Matthew. Yes, she's oh, correct. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong when I said it. I knew it was wrong when I said it. <laughs> That's why you're here. That's right. That's right. Matthew's only goes back to Abraham. So, uh, that, so I, I actually do know what I'm talking about. Um, now you do. <laughs> I was reading in Proverbs the other day about the need for fools to keep their mouths closed. Oh, yeah, but fools are ones who don't believe. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, so the big deal is the reason that it's an important question. So the catechism uh, is dated back, Brett, correct me if I'm wrong, in the 1600s? Uh, 15. 1500s? Uh, 16th century. And it doesn't mean that it's old. What it means is that we, the church still has work to do in our time yes. to help people come to the faith. Because if you read in the, in the Romans passage in Corinthians, Paul is not so much concerned that everybody shares chromosomes mm. with mm-hmm. Adam, but they share the created nature with Adam. Right. And so we can still share our, our Christian belief handed to us on the well-worn path um, but sometimes we need to, con- or we always need to continue to think about ways to express it. Um, so it doesn't fall apart if we understand what the Genesis text is actually wanting to right. do, right? Um, what the theology really is, and right. maybe sometimes we need to talk about it in ways that uh, read to people in different circumstances. Uh, man, that's absolutely, absolutely right. That's why I take the stand I do. What does the te- what is the text telling us? What is it saying? Yeah, and there, there, you're going to come across a lot of folks who find that um, it, things have to be read in a way that you may not even find in the text, right? But demand it, mm-hmm. um, and and you know we could talk about case by case basis, but I think that some of that might be. Uh, losing the forest for the trees. Absolutely. 100%. Maybe missing the point. I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? I want us to talk about the other topic, but I, there was an, I, I felt like there was an opportunity for a controversial discussion, and I wanted to have it. Well, you know, what's interesting, too, is we got to remember, especially in, the gen, in Genesis, Genesis 1 through uh, 12, um, is it moves really, or move, 1 through 11, I should say, moves really quickly. You're, you're, you're covering a large swath of humanity, be it historical or, or, or uh, archetypal, archetypical. archetypical or whatever. You've got a lot going on there. In those 12, uh, 12 chapters, that is uh, moving very quickly and almost peppering you with very just kind of ideas and um, and thoughts and 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 truths about humanity that it will then focus laser focus on when we get to Abraham and beyond, which is. Uh, yeah. arguably the real focus of the story. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Because it does, it goes really quick to a laser-pointed, I mean, you go from all of humanity to one person very quickly. Yep. Um, then to um, Jesus, then back out to all humanity. All, that's exactly right. So, Rebecca, uh, any, fin- any final thoughts on, on our little controversy here? I'm just. I'm afraid you're going to tell me I said something wrong. She already got me, so she's good. <laughs> oh, she's going to save hers for later. It's oh, like and a by the way, dagger. she did say if y'all want to write us, yes, questions at podakesis.com, and you can also call and leave a voicemail at 404-635-6679 and let me know how wrong I am. <laughs> oh, my. I would love it. I'd love it if people would write in. Absolutely, I would too. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit then about uh, the question and answer itself. And for let's just start with uh, this question and the answer itself. It really brings to light 
the scope of sin in humanity, how wide-reaching we're dealing with. We're not just dealing with one particular time in history. We're not dealing with one particular race of people. We're not dealing with one gender of, of people. We're not dealing with that. We're, we're talking about an entirety of scope of humanity. And, um, and John Wesley said uh, that uh, he talks about the scope and the reach uh, and the uh, the the hold, if you will, that sin has on humanity. Uh, he he wrote, uh, "We are already bound hand and foot by the chains of our own sins. These considered with regard to ourselves are chains of iron and fetters of brass." Um, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, the one who revised the Shorter Catechism, he understood sin as being far-reaching. It was wide and it was deep in its hold. On, on humanity. And so uh, uh, we're dealing with, and we can see even in our contemporary culture, we're dealing with some, uh, 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 we're dealing with an issue in humanity that everyone, that really binds everyone together. Um, in, 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 a, in maybe the wrong way? In the wrong way, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wesley and his sermon, Original Sin, brought up another um, another story from that Genesis 1 through 11 part, and that's the story of Noah, and, and talked about how mm. um, God basically uncreated the world mm. because the thoughts of their hearts were only evil mm-hmm. continually. Right. Um, and even Noah is described as upright in his generation, you know, so there's kind of that qualifier there of (laughs) he's better than everybody else, but (laughs) that that kind of sin sin is still on him. Right. Absolutely. Mm. Which you see if you go on past Genesis 6. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Isn't it funny? Noah's like, yeah, great, miraculous boat ride. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to get really drunk. Yes. And then (laughs) it really... And and then it just falls apart from there. So I mean, it just gets even worse. So, um, you know, G.K. Chesterton. Um, uh, it is reported that G.K. Chesterton, who was a Catholic theologian and or not really a theologian but writer, um, he uh, he uh, was asked to submit an essay about what's wrong with culture, what's wrong with the world, and he sent back a response to the whoever it was who asked for the essay, uh, a basically one-word response, and it was me. Mm. Um, this understanding of the, the depth of depravity within ourselves um, um, and our need for redemption um, in, in our lives and, and who we are. Um, that, that makes me ask a couple of questions. Please do. So, and you all can redirect if you want to, but <clears throat> so what if, what if I say, but... I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that, how does that square? Because I think that most people think they're generally okay. And we know a lot of great people. Yep. And so as we're trying to talk about this in, in this universal sense, how does that square with original sin? The idea that what if I'm, but I think I'm a good person. John Wesley wrote this. Was there not good mingled with the evil? Was there not light intermixed with the darkness? No, Ooh. none at all. <laughs> <laughs> Jim yes. was like, Jim was sitting there going, amen. Yes, amen, amen. I oh, wait, no. <laughs> if we had this on video, you would have seen her jump scare me. That was perfect. It was dramatic. Uh, yeah. But he, he goes on to say that 
the good that exists in the world is because of God's preventing grace. It's already God's grace that makes anything that's good in the world. Otherwise, there's nothing. We've got nothing on our own. That's mm. right. That's an important piece. We call it uh, preventing or prevenient grace um, uh, from in Wesleyan circles. It is God's. It is God's interaction with a sinful humanity that reveals who He is. But it also keeps us from falling into deep depravity, if you will, of of, of becoming. I don't know. I, uh, y- y- this understanding of it, it it keeps us from basically destroying each other. Um, and because that would be our bent, that would be what we would do without without God's just kind of hand over us. And this idea of God's grace, I think I've said this in another episode, uh, we, we deal with not a supernatural God, a, but a supranatural God, a God that is outside of kind of the natural order of things, who has come in to uh, within his created order in order to reveal himself and to uh, make himself known to his creation and so it's important for us to remember that and that that is that is we define that as grace this idea that God is moving and interacting and revealing himself to a, a people who are not deserving of that um, all because of his love all because of his love for us. And I love how Wesley put that, of course. He just, no, no. Absolutely, no, absolutely not. There are There is none. Because, again, it is because of God that there is any good in the world uh, today. I mean, that's exactly right. The extent of our sin made him go to the to the farthest reaches to be able to pull us out of that sin. It's only God who knows the full extent and only God who can redeem it. That's Ooh, absolutely, that's right. and, and and later on in the catechism, we'll deal with that when we talk about like the cross, when we talk about uh, Jesus bearing the sins of the world upon Himself. Uh, you see how wide He would go, or how far He would go, uh, to take care of that, to take care yeah. of the sin. I in know fact, we Methodists just can't leave it in the sin. We've always no, got to go. There's ahead always good news. Well, and, and and if you think about, we spend a lot of time talking about Genesis. Sometimes I describe Genesis as the not only the story of the beginning of the world, but the beginning of God's passionate pursuit for people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just right at the beginning. Wait, that's, what, that's where I would pause and write that down if I were listening. <laughs> the the beginning of God's passionate pursuit of people. So uh, I had a thought, and I'm gonna, I was trying to ramble to bring it back. Oh, yes, one little thought is when we talk about the scope of sin and people, how we regard ourselves, we also, this is another point where it's worth reminding us that sin and sins Mm -hmm. are distinctive but related there is a state in which we are and the actions with which you know that we undertake so you could almost think of it as sin is the infection sins are the symptoms so while while god may be drawing you towards good more good things maybe god's provenient grace is is uh, awakened a portion of your moral compass or something, and you're doing good things, that doesn't mean that we are not in our nature corrupted mm-hmm. That's and right. in, need of, in a need of uncorrupting. Yeah, Paul in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18, and to the end of the chapter, he talks about, um, th- if you will, those uh, symptoms of a greater corruption that mm-hmm. is going on. Um, and, uh, he, and he lists out, I mean, there's a whole list of things, uh, of sins, uh, plural, 
uh, that are symptomatic, the way he's putting it out there, is symptomatic of humanity giving themselves over to the worship of idols and, and of themselves and this kind of thing. Um, and he will even use the term, and it's one of my kind of, I think one of the genius parts that Paul puts out there when he talks about the effects of sin, they even invent ways of do, doing evil. It's like his way of saying, and anything I've left off the list is covered by this, <laughs> because that's the scope we're dealing with here. That reminds me of when I was an associate pastor and I had a job description and it said all other duties as assigned. Yes. Which meant everything else. Welcome to uh, <laughs> Brett, Brett Maddox, associate at St. Luke. That's exactly right. Um, uh, in the Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith, a, a resource that we we tout on the podcast a lot, um, uh, Phil Talon will basically lay out two or three different um, uh, What's the word? I'm look, consequences is the word I'm looking for. Uh, consequences to sin, how sin affected um, all of humanity, and basically they are um, disrupted relationship, relationship between our Creator and us, and then us and each other. Um, to your point earlier, Jim, he also talks about a disrupted purpose, like our 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 purpose, our mission, what we were put here for gets disrupted, that gets kind of skewed and put off to the side, and then um, and then death itself. Uh, and a New Testament professor of mine in seminary, um, Joe Donjel, uh, talks about, <laughs> kind of in a funny way, he talks about um, how sin brought in, brought in the death monster, if you will, and the death monster, think of it as this mini-tentacled monster uh, of, of sin and sickness and natural disasters and all of this stuff that pulls you into death. With a Tractor beam. With he a tractor beam. He pulls you in with a tractor beam. Tractor beam, yes. It's a monster with a tractor beam, which is the scariest thing ever, because if you outrun the tentacles, it's still going to get you. So, uh, wow. Mm. Um, anyway, so, uh, but this death this monster. sounds terrifying. <laughs> it does. Um, uh, this death, uh, it, beca- it becomes our default um, now. And that's the thing, is that we, we, we start off in this brokenness. Mm. When, I, when I was in college, I got into a debate with a professor of mine in a philosophy or religion class of some sort, and, um, and uh, we were talking about—I I brought up original sin. Of course, I was like 20 years old trying to discuss issues that Augustine had talked about and others had talked, and I had no clue what I was doing. But I got into this discussion, and one of the questions he had asked, my professor had asked, was, um, how can you look at my two-year-old son and tell me that he's evil? I get that. I get that feeling. You know? And then, and then I thought the same way about my two-year-old, and then, then he turned three, and I got it. <laughs> and then you understood. <laughs> uh, but that's that kind of thinking... Go ahead, Rebecca. Well, it, it's the distinction between sin and sins. The, the right. distinction between sin with a capital S right. that is, is a power over us but and those sinful things that we do. I, I mean, I, I taught at Andrew College for for a while. I taught Old and New Testament. Shout out to one of our Methodist schools. Yeah. <laughs> so you hear all kinds of things from college students. They know everything at 20. So, yeah. uh, so uh, one of them tried to explain to me that babies being born actually sinned, like they they caused pain, and so that was a sin, and so that that was the site of original sin, and we, we had a big discussion about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! It's, it's not the 
sins as actual actions that people have committed. It's this power of sin that's over us. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the key is uh, we— I like how you put that, Rebecca, about how, you know, again, it's it's differentiating sins and what's actually in us, the, the, the sinfulness, the brokenness in all of humanity. Um, you know, of course, a two-year-old is not going to manifest itself into some, you know, murder, murderous sociopath. Maybe not. Well, maybe Jim's. I don't know. But... My children are delightful. Precious. <laughs> they are. They are. Uh, but um, uh, but we do know, uh, you can even get a glimpse of it even in children. Uh, think of it, maybe don't think of it in such drastic terms of like murder and that kind of stuff. No. But think of it in defiance. and in uh, dis- The initial pull to self-centeredness, yeah. which, you know, it's innate. It, very much so. Very much. It, it, yeah. Which is exactly what we've talked about with being the original act of defiance. You know, it's not eating that the fruit so much as the defiance that the instructions were not to eat it. Yeah. And right. so you see that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think about that. So let's say somebody who is listening would, you know, you could really internally buck against this idea or push against this idea. And I get that. Um, And we definitely don't want everybody to leave here thinking how awful they are. Well, maybe not, but, but Jesus is the way, but I want you to think about this. So you might do a bunch of good things, but don't you feel it? Don't you sometimes just know the way that I'm feeling isn't right. Mm. The way that I see this, something happened and it what it felt right, but I'm seeing this all wrong and something's broken. Mm-hmm. Or this relationship is supposed to be better, but it's not. And part of it is my fault. And I don't even know why. Mm-hmm. You know, just that that sense, not so much that we need to focus so much on, well, I do good things. Well, praise the Lord, you do good things. But don't you sense that something is there's friction in your internal life that is supposed to be well oiled mm-hmm. in your psyche and your emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that stuff points to the corruption of our, of our self mm-hmm. that thank God there's an answer. But so, so that I just want to really drive in with people uh, ways that we can recognize what God can save. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree. You know, one of the things I think about, too, when people talk about, you know, well, I do good. I'm a good person. Um, I don't, I'm not out doing bad things all the time. Is a good to whose standard, first of all? Is it to the standard that you're seeing in Christ, or is it to the standard that you're, you're setting for yourself? Um, and also, how much good we do that is so is, uh, altruistic? It's because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel good. We do good because it's, which is self-serving. I, I, we do a, we do Have y'all ever seen that? Have any of you watched Friends? Yes, Friends, The, yes. the show Friends, have yes. y'all seen that? Yes, love it. Do y'all remember this story when, when Phoebe wants to do a, do a good deed without being selfish? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Theology. <laughs> yeah, she let the bee stinger. 
Oh, but then the bee died. Then the it wasn't bee died. altruistic at all. Yeah, not at all. We'll put um, we'll we'll put we'll put the IMDb link to friends in the show notes, along with a shout out to Andrew notes. College and our other Methodist colleges and universities in the show notes. Show notes. Man, we've gone a long time wow. in this episode without saying show notes, and that's uh, that's not uh, that's not like us. I don't know. We need we this really needed Alan here for that. Yeah, that's just, Alan reminds us. <laughs> and about there show notes. we go. There's the Mandalorian reference. Anyway, so uh, but the altruism behind it. You know, we do a um, uh, we do a uh, an outreach to our community every Christmas where we have about fifteen hundred to two thousand homeless and. Um, people who are, in, you know, maybe have lost some jobs or who are just in need of help and need some extra, just a ne- extra help for Christmas. And we host them here at the church. And uh, uh, this was pre COVID times, at least. And um, uh, how many people, it usually takes about 150 volunteers to do this. And to the person, you'll have people who will say, We love doing this. It just, it makes our, it makes us get into the Christmas spirit. You know, these are good people who are doing good things, who are doing kingdom work, really. But you can see that kind of self-centered, altruistic motivation behind doing the good um, that is evident of our sinfulness. Mm. <clears throat> so, is it fair? Is this scope, is the scope... Is the human scope of sin, the, the, the wide range, and to say we're all guilty of this, if you will, or we're all broken, or we're all in need of redemption, is it fair to say that? That's really kind of a question I've been dealing with. No, um, no, it's not fair. <laughs> Even with the speech impediment, that was nice, very nice. No, no. <laughs> and uh, uh, Tom Thomas Odin in his, in uh, one of his volumes of of his systematic theology, he wrote this about the fairness of if you will, uh, of the scope of sin. He said, uh, the just God does not casually say at one moment to humanity, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Only at the next moment to set aside the penalty after the transgression. So he's talking about uh, that penalty of you will surely die. And he's getting to this point of, of the penalty itself that is true for all of humanity. Paul will take that and say, for the wages of sin is death. Um, that uh, we've all fallen short of God's glory. Um, Odin will, will, will sit here and say that uh, this is not just something that God is just throwing out just to throw it out, or something he can set aside. He can't just say, you will surely die, and then just say, you know what, I was mistaken about that. You're not... You won't surely die. That's not going to happen to you. You'll be fine. But he says, uh, the holiness of God required a penalty for sin, just as promised. Otherwise, there would be no way to count on the moral reliability of God's word. Lacking penalty for sin, the moral order itself would be jeopardized. There is no approach to the mystery of the cross without this premise. Uh, You know, we will be dealing with Jesus soon enough. Um, but we, I mean, in the catechism, it's still a long way away, but we do. Oh, I thought you were ta- <laughs> I thought you were talking about like, well, we're all, we're all going to be judged, which is true. That was it like is. a, it was like a double meaning. Yeah, it is. Wow. Absolutely. This, Preaching peppers your speech, Brett. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, uh, <laughs> but this idea here that, uh, that the cross is necessary because a payment has to be made because of us. And this is the... This is how far God would go 
to um, set things right for the whole world, for God, as John says, for God so loved the cosmos, the world, um, that he would send his only son. And I think that is the good news we need to hear. Uh, so go on sinning so your grace may abound. Isn't that, isn't that what we, we're, we're needing to do? God forbid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Rebecca coming with the nose and the God forbids. <laughs> oh. Um. Um. So why does it matter? Yeah, so why does this matter today? Does it even matter today? I mean, we live in a post-truth, post-church, post-Christian, post-Bible, post-post-post-post-world. Post-cereal. Yeah, yeah post-cereal. <laughs> That's a brand, by the way. That is. Uh, they, do not, uh, they do not advertise on the They don't yet podcast. advertise. Yeah, actually, no. Absolutely. So this is what I think about it. We need a more robust theology of sin in our public discourse. Um, There is so much right now that we we're so teamed up on our own team. And we assume that our team wouldn't do anything bad. It's true. And I I mean, Christians are probably the worst offenders about this. Oh no. If they did that, then they're not a real Christian. You know, they're, they're not on our team. And we need to recognize that everybody has the capacity for deep sin within them. And I, I think we need that self-reflective moment to be able to look at what's happening in our world and say, sometimes the people on my team do sin. Mm. And and I need I need to be able to speak to my own group sometimes. Yeah. That isn't that hard too. Sometimes to speak to people around. So hard. I'm reading uh, this book. It's just come out. It's the uh, a the a church called Tove. It's um, forming a goodness culture that resists abuses of power and promotes healing. And it talks a lot about um, the fall of pastors and how pastors and churches will hold on to power and further victimize victims. Um, and through gaslighting and denial and uh, power plays and intimidation and how damaging that is for the church. And it reminded me, Rebecca, that, you know, sometimes we'll stick up and for people just assume that no, these kinds of people are our people don't have the capacity to do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so much damage has happened because of it. Right. Whereas Absolutely. if we, if we had a more robust theology of sin and recognized the capacity of even our beloved leaders doing the wrong thing, then we might could put a stop to a lot of pain and suffering before it it goes on. Right, and and take seriously stuff like accusations and 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 that to put a stop to it quicker, so that you get to a point where healing can start happening quicker um, in a situation. Right. Absolutely, and Brett, when you mentioned that uh, that theology quote from Tom Odin, you talked about how justice includes celebrating of the right and punishment of the wrong. It mm-hmm. cre- that's the moral order. Mm-hmm. And so when we allow sin in ourselves or others to perpetuate, it breaks down the moral order mm-hmm. uh, and, and it, it ripples out and hurts uh, everybody. And, and I would go, I would push 
not just uh, our tribes and our listeners, but, you know, we've got three on here right now. And anybody who's listening, who's part of our circles, you know, we have to be aware of that, that I could do great, great harm. And, and does that not drive me closer, uh, more to my knees, crying out to Christ for mercy, because look at what I'm capable of. Well, I pray that it does. I pray that it does all the time. Yeah. But it matters. Yeah. Keep going. I want to hear I want to hear more from y'all. This is great stuff. Yeah, the I think the idea here too is um this idea of a moral order does show that there are um there are absolutes at least. Um there is right and wrong and it's and it's to say right and wrong is based on my interpretation of right and wrong is a very <laughs> it's very definition of what we're talking about of our fallenness because we're basing this upon our own ourselves. It's Nietzsche, you know, Nietzsche said um, uh, in his uh, writing on, uh, he said, uh, uh, "God is dead, and we have killed him, and no greater deed has been done in all of, of of all of humanity." He was seeing it as a great liberation of humanity that we would come in and and be subject be, in our subjective selves. Uh, we would be able to basically set the rules ourselves. Um, for who we are and what was right and what was wrong, and how that has proven to be, um, in our day and age at least, how that has proven to be the, one of the most damaging damaging things that has, um, has come about, that we actually believe that. So, um, yeah, I do think there's some, and I think this is ultimately important. I think the church, <clears throat> we, I th- you know, personally, I think the church needs to it needs to have a robust. I like how you put it, Rebecca. A robust theology of sin. We we need to be able to call call out right and wrong in our pulpits and in our Sunday school classes and in our small groups and in our homes. But we also need to be able to say confidently that it's not just about the sins that we commit. It's not just that. It's that we are all in need of redemption. Right. And I think we attack each other so much based upon our brokenness and our fallenness. Mm. I think about, um, I hear in the news, I think about people who make stupid comments out in public that might be deemed racist or misogynist or, or whatever it is. And then they come out and they say, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. No, you didn't. You, this is your heart. This is who you are. And then they're just labeled that for the rest of their lives. And we as a people, whether in the church or outside the church, we just don't have a, the capacity to tell people you can change. And I think that's the message of the, the, of the Christian message. You can be transformed. You can change. You know, it's, it's almost like in the eyes of the public sphere, we start at the top and everything we do takes us down notch after notch until we're just a stump of uh, worthiness. Mm-hmm. But the gospel actually starts us at the bottom, which doesn't feel great, but then builds us up into the fullness of what God created us to. And what would you like better? Uh, Can you think of all the protective behaviors that come out when we are caught or when we are sinning or when we don't want to call out someone else's brokenness as we want to stay at the top and we don't want to be taken down a notch because I don't know how to get back up. Hmm. Um, But in Christ and and the the story of God, we start at the bottom and God does the building back up. Hmm. That's my little nugget. So a more robust theology of grace would do as well as Ooh. well. Don't, of theology of sin. Yes, that's what we were talking. We talked about the uh, 
Felix Culpa last week. That's the, I Happy believe fault. it's generally, generally a Roman Catholic understanding that you may or may not ascribe to, but the idea is, is interesting that the deeper the fall, the more we experience grace. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if we do have, Rebecca, a deeper understanding of sin, then we actually have a deeper understanding of the whole thing. Right. Right. Appreciation, at least. I think so. I, I Yeah. What about I all agree. these people that, that feel really happy running around telling everybody they're sinners? How, how, what about that? <laughs> do, they have, uh, do they have a more robust <laughs> theology of sin? Well, Is that hear what they're saying. They say, um, don't blame, uh, not no, don't blame me. What is it? Is um, um, uh, crud. How do they put it? Um, I'm, uh, I don't I'm know, but perfect. they should I'm, say crud I'm not a lot. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. <laughs> That's it. Um, there was a theologian, uh, Rebecca or Jim, one of y'all just said something here that got me to thinking about this. There was a theologian um, that uh, uh, Phil Talon lifts up in his Absolute Basics uh, that said, uh, the good news has to become bad news before it becomes good news. And what he's talking about is good news, the good news of Christ reveals to us that we're broken and sinners and in need of grace. And that's bad news because it knocks us off our pedestal. Mm. And then it becomes good news to restore us and redeem us. All right, all right. I think we're. Uh, I think we figured this thing out. Uh, oh, we did. The uh, the Kisses podcast is not for sin. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're against it, uh, as we have said in the past. Sin? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, one, but, one more thought, because yeah, I can, and then I'd love to get a final thought from our special guest too, just to yes, uh, just wrap up the matter. So. I'm uh, from the beginning of our project. I've been very aware that even the title of what Christians believe and why it matters, that I'm very aware that people push against the ideas of absolute rights and wrongs. And that, that we, even by talking about this, people might assume that we are putting ourselves as the arbitrators of what is right and wrong. And the conversation about sin evokes that same feeling in people about, well, who is there to say that I'm right and wrong? And who are you to proclaim to me what God says right and wrong? But I also want to tell you that, that yes, you probably are doing wrong things, and you probably already know it. And if you didn't, um, you probably know it now. But that's not the only issue. <laughs> the only issue is not that you do wrong. The issue is that you are not whole. And that is a sin matter that will eventually lead you to perform sinful and wrong things, and they probably already have. I'm not here to uh, tell you from a place on high that you are doing wrong things and you need to do better because I said so. What, what the Christian faith is proclaiming to you, as much as it, we don't like to hear it, is that we are broken. Don't you feel it? And sometimes, most often, we see it, we can point at it most in activity. But it's not only just for uh, people to tell you what's right and wrong. And God stopped the mouths of Christians who want to run around and tell people that God is a moralist and it's all about, I'm telling you what's wrong and you better conform to what I understand it to be. That is not, that is not, the, that is not full. That is not a full understanding. So remember... It's not just about what you do. Don't discount God because you think you're doing right. Ask yourself, am I everything that I think I was made to be? And the answer is not going to be yes at some point. Hmm. 
but the good news is that God can make it so. So mm-hmm. I just, I like, I, I really want to bring that out. I don't know if that made any sense. You can tell me in the comments. <laughs> Rebecca, what are your thoughts? Well, Final it, thought. We're talking about sin. What do you want to say to us? I, I have to dovetail with what you said. God doesn't take delight in condemning us to sin. God is doing every has done everything possible to break the power of canceled sin to set mm. the prisoner free. Um, I, you know, I, I Brett quoted John three sixteen earlier, but I always want to follow up with seventeen that He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through Him might be saved. Mm. And so, so He He's pointing out to us our sin, not to be judgmental and not to, to lord it over us, but to say, you need to know it because you need to accept what I'm offering to bring you out of that state. Mm. Mm. A- a- absolutely. And I'll just kind of dovetail on that since uh, uh, you mentioned that. I, to mention a verse out of my favorite my favorite hymn of all time, and it happens to be Charles Wesley's uh, Great and Can It Be. Um, there's this uh, line in there, there's this uh, um, a verse in there that says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, flame, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Uh, sin is serious. Mm. It is. It's a serious thing that that impacts all of humanity throughout all of our human history. That's absolutely true. But it doesn't have to be the defining thing in our lives. It doesn't have to be the, the legacy we leave behind. In fact, we've been given a gift that it doesn't have to be our legacy as, as people. Hatred, um, uh, pain, war, destruction, despair, depression, drugs, alcohol, abuse, all of this, it doesn't have to be who we are. Uh, We can rise up. The chains are gone. And that's the promise of the resurrection of Christ, is that the chains have been broken. They have been. So now we rise up and we walk out of the dungeon in new life, transformed and changed, um, where Wesley will close that great hymn, No Condemnation Now I Dread, Jesus and All in Him is Mine, Alive in Him My Living Head, and Clothed in Righteousness Divine, Bold I Approach the Eternal Throne and Claim the Crown Through Christ My Own. That, that's, that's grace. That's grace. And it's... That's awesome. it's yeah, come that's on. It. That's it. So, as always, um, as we come to a close on this episode, um, we, we want to pray for you, and we want to know, um, you know, of course, if you have questions or comments, you can leave them on our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, all those places, at Podakesis is where you'll find us. You can also email us, questions at podakesis.com. You can even leave a voicemail that may even make it on the show at 404- Come on now. That come on, 404-635-6679. 
But, you know, we, we love having people on. Uh, you know, Rebecca has, she's commented. We, we've talked, talked her up from time to time here on the show. But what we really want is for people who are uh, struggling, who are in need of some just spiritual direction in your lives. You want to be connected to a local church or you want help, you know, just knowing a little bit more about how God loves you. Uh, let us know. Uh, hit us up. Let us know. And we'll be happy to at least pray for you because we believe that the end of the story is Jesus and it's not our sin. So, um, and, and we're part of that story. So we're so, uh, Rebecca, thank you for joining us. And, uh, we've got to come back on again. We're so, so glad you're, Hey, did did y'all know that, uh, Rebecca has a podcast? It's at uh, jessupfumc.org slash podcast. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, you can check out some amazing preaching that Rebecca, I actually listen to uh, at least once or twice a month, which is fantastic. Um, mm. And so you can check her out. And if you're in the the Golden Isles area, Golden Isles, Jessup, yeah, uh, yep. Jessup area, coastal Georgia, come on, check it out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're so glad to have you. Uh, I think we're going to have to... Uh, check on alan's contract you may be uh we may be pushing him out and pulling you in i guess i we'll see no you didn't hear that alan no we love you alan uh so anyway um but alan will be back with us next time and uh, we are so uh, happy that you were able to join us uh, this time around again hit us up on social media on uh email or call us on our voicemail and leave a message with us we're so glad that you were with us this time and we look forward to uh coming back at you next time when we deal with two questions you heard me correctly two questions we're going to be dealing with questions 17 and 18 i'm just going to throw these out there as we're coming to an end for this episode Um, those questions are into what estate did the fall bring mankind and question 18 wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate in which man fell. So these two questions, they kind of go hand in hand together. So we're going to combine them together and talk about that. So we're continuing our talk of sin and its scope on humanity. And uh, that's where, that'll be where we are on the next episode of the Podakesis Podcast. Until then, y'all have a great day.